This week on a lively experiment, the city of Pawtucket refuses to go down without a fight as the mayor announces big plans for his city. And potluck? Protests over insider deals on medical marijuana licenses prompts leaders to take a step back. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us this week, attorney and legal analyst Lou Polner, attorney and former prosecutor Eva Mancuso, and political strategist Rob Horowitz. Hello everyone and welcome to A Lively Experiment. It's been a rough couple of years for the city of Pawtucket, but the city's mayor hopes this week's unveiling of an ambitious $400 million development plan, including a soccer stadium downtown, will jumpstart a community still recovering from the departure of the Paw Sox. It was all smiles at Monday's announcement but there are still some hurdles to overcome to make it a reality. Uh, Lou, we talked a lot, a lot about the Paw Sox. There have been some comparisons. Initial thoughts about this? Hey, I think Mayor Grevian has done amazing work. He is a tireless and fearless advocate for his people in the city of Pawtucket. Uh, and I, I root for them to make this all work. The developer and the larger investor of this project says that Rhode Island is the most attractive place in the country without a professional soccer team. Did you have to read that twice? I did, because th that makes no sense to me, frankly. Uh, you know, it's like when I was in high school or junior high school, there was a government mandate that we had to learn the metric system. Well, <laughs> that lasted about six days, and we never heard about it ever again. Soccer, while it's a great sport, and I, I marvel at the athleticism of the, the, the participants, I'm just not sure it's going to fly uh, in Pawtucket. The soccer stadium, though, is only one part of it. They're talking about office and mixed use. Yes, yes, it, it's, it's a very ambitious, comprehensive proposal. We obviously have to bang the tires on it. But on soccer, I'll give you, give you my very anecdotal story. Go to Hope Street Pizza in lieu of cooking pretty much every night for dinner. Um, and there are more fans. There's an Arsenal group, for, which is one of the English soccer fans. There are, there are more soccer fans that come than there are Patriots fans. There's a whole new generation of soccer fans here. And there is um, also soccer is particularly popular with, with the Latino population, which is the growing population in Rhode Island. I think it's a great place for soccer. And the other thing is, is the, the investor here obviously has done his market research and knows more about this than, than at least maybe not than Lou, but than me, that's for sure. And, um, and so I think it's, it's, it's an exciting market. And I think if you look at where, where, where soccer's headed and, and look at how many people play soccer, and, and they do one smart thing is they connect in terms of attendance to all the youth soccer leagues, I think it's got big potential for success. Yeah, as opposed to baseball, which is seemingly going the other exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing that Lou did. Um, Mayor Grebian, you know, what a great cheerleader he is for his city. And he just is. They started you know, the day after the Boss Sox said sayonara. And you know what? People may say, and oh, well, he's this and he's that. He doesn't care. He's just a bulldog. And mm. I love that. Um, you know, that's what we should have in every. I mean, he's just that that typical mayor. And uh, he really does it. And, and I, I agree with Rob also. I think soccer is an up and coming sport. Um, it's funny because, you know, the anecdote, you know, my 
my father was a youth football coach and my kids played youth football and uh, my youngest daughter started to play soccer and I said, you're going to come to a game? He says, football coaches don't put their foot on a soccer field. Mm -hmm. He said, I'll watch it from the back. Because <laughs> wow. uh, it was very different. Well, of course, that was you know 30 years ago and now with the what's happening with youth soccer, especially with what's going on with head injuries with football and things like that, that a lot of the younger generation, I know um, my grandchildren are more apt to play soccer than they are football, where that wasn't the case when we were growing up. But meanwhile, everybody's concerned about soccer players because they use headers, uh, you know, to score goals, and that's some significant impact on the brain as well. Matter of fact, I think it was uh, Rapinoe of the women's uh, soccer, soccer team. Soccer, four right, yeah. right. She's going to be donating her brain uh, because she's been, you know, doing headers uh, her entire yeah. life. So. I understand it's... It's not football. It's not football, but there's dangers there also. I also wonder, though, this, they it said this, you know, Pawtucket, everybody was so focused on the Paw Sox, but that larger issue of developing Pawtucket, that, so again, the devil will be in the details the next 120 days, but they're talking about this development that, you know, they'll get tax increment financing, but it's not a taxpayer handout. Ultimately, they're relying right. on the revenue to come in, but what struck me Lou, is that the larger issue of it's not just the soccer stadium. We were so focused on the Paw Talks mm. that if this really flies, you've got a lot of people from Boston with yes. the train station coming in, yes. that that might go to that demo in terms of housing, right? Absolutely, and retail. I think, you know, I think it's a great idea and concept. It's just I don't think, I'm not used to seeing anything like that in Pawtucket, and I'm not sure why, but if it works, I'm thrilled for the city. It just uh, seems like an awful big investment. I also think that, and you mentioned the tax increment financing, the, the financing, even though there may be a higher net cost to the state at the end of the day, since it's connected to um, actual revenue, revenue coming yeah, in, yeah. Right. Um, it, it deals with some of the political issues that, that, that stalled the, uh, the New Pawtucket um, Red Sox Stadium. So I think, think it's a smarter way to go. And also they're taking advantage of, of the federal tax break of these opportunity zones that was in the um, tax cut that passed. And I don't think one of Rhode Island's gonna have a problem with someone taking a federal tax break. We, you know, we should take advantage of all those. Yeah, and, and all the legislative leaders out there, helps a lot if you got Mattiello on board and Raimondo and Ruggiero, unlike right. that they were working across and, purposes. And it's a makeup, it's a, it's, it's a makeup play call. for Mattiello, so yeah. where, where he gets to, because he got a lot of criticism. Over so the Paw Sox. Over the Paw Sox, he, he gets to do a makeup play for Pawtucket. Here. All right, let's stay at the State House. Uh, if you haven't looked, there's a lot of money in medical marijuana. The state is going to be increasing the number of licenses to six. And there was a big back and forth on this, Eva. They passed legislation in the spring about, okay, the General Assembly is going to have the final say on this. Then they were concerned about the insider lawsuit, deals. Right. There was a lawsuit by the, the governor. And then they were concerned because some legislative people working up there were getting. So now they're saying, let's step back. And I think it's a good move, whether it's going to be in practice, to have somebody maybe oversee and that it's a, a level playing field to get the licenses. I think that. Um, the intent, at least as I read um, initially Mattiello's position on it, was the correct way, and that is we need to have a lot of sunlight on what goes through this process. It's just the public didn't trust the General Assembly to be the person to do that. But I think the same intent is there with having somebody that oversees the process so that not only the level playing field, but also we want to know the background of the people that are doing this. I mean, I've been on the record to say I'm not a big fan of of marijuana at all. I think to me, it's always going to be a gateway drug. And maybe it's just because it's the way I grew up. Um, I have had 
you know, knock down conversations with doctors who, who live by the fact that the medicinal purpose of marijuana is, is very positive. So I'll leave that there. However, if I'm going to give out, and, and when I say I, I mean, it's Rhode Island, well, I'm a taxpayer. If we're going to give out licenses, I want to know everything about how that operation is going to go, and I want to know about it before I decide who gets it. So I think that's important. Um, I know by putting the $500,000 out there to get a license, you're, you're wiping steep. out. Yeah, and, and, and you're wiping out the, the person that's going to grow it in their backyard, so it's going to be more safe in terms of what goes into it and, and what have you. But I think that it's very important that the whole process is very open, especially from the law enforcement side. Well, you're making instant millionaires out of whoever gets these particular licenses, and I think that's why there was a lot of pushback about it going through the legislature and having them dole out these licenses. There's got to be open and transparent, and I, I like the idea that it's going to be a lottery system. Uh, and you mentioned the half a million dollars to be able to put, you know, to be able to do this, the licensing. But again, you're instant millionaires once you get that license. But you know, I'm not. I don't know that I'm in favor of the whole lottery system. Is as long as you're comparing apples to apples, yeah, I, I don't have are. a problem with it. I think before you can get into that process, before right. you even pay your five hundred thousand, you've got to show that you're of sound right. quality. Right, that, that you're a player. Yes. Yes, and and lottery system works well in a couple other states. Anything that that ma that makes the process truly competitive, or at least truly fair, and also creates a perception of fairness, because that's very important here in Rhode Island, where we have past history of insider dealing. I think it's important. I think they're on the right track with it um, in terms of doing this. I do think it's a way station to legalization. If you look at just the sheer numbers on um, yeah. medical marijuana, um, it's not hard to get a prescription. That's, that's where we're headed here. What do you think about the governor not backing off the lawsuit? The speaker said, I'm going to, I agree with you, maybe this is more a separation of powers that the, that the administration should have it, and she's going full steam ahead on it. I think where we are with that relationship is, is uh, honeymoon periods of where maybe we're, they need we're some in couples that, counseling. There's an, old, or what? there's an old Roseanne Cash song, Seven Year Ache, somewhere near there. Yeah. But I think she's making the point. This is an executive function, guys. Yeah. So um, don't take I'm, your foot off the pedal. I, I may not be, be running for re-election again, but but I'm still the governor, and I'm given the the sort of weak statutory powers of the Rhode Island governor relative to say New Jersey or Louisiana, where the governor is is truly the king Donald Trump wants to be. Um, then I, I think that it's probably smart to just send that message, at least for a little while. Well, yeah, she's actually just saying that, uh, well, Mattiello backed off, of course, because he doesn't want to see bad law affecting right. future, his future, let alone future uh, speakers. But I think uh, she's saying, no, this is payback. Okay. Uh, folks, somewhere Link Chafee is chuckling as he's looking at all of the coverage. What is it about Rhode Island governors and Christmas trees in the last 10 years? If you've been living under a rock or maybe uh, spending some time in Arizona, uh, the governor just decided to put up a uh, very large artificial tree, and that had the uh, Christmas tree growers all up in arms. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> we can't get out of our own way sometimes. I, I don't get it. I, don't, I didn't get it when... We was national news that Chafee called tree. it a holiday tree. I mean, um, it's a Christmas tree. It's always going to be a Christmas tree. Uh, but whether it's artificial or whether it's real or not, I, I just think it's six of one and a half dozen of another. Some you of don't us, have a problem with an artificial tree? I don't have a problem with that. Especially, especially the, the, just the, the sheer um, taking care of it and, and all of the things that go along with it, you know. 
I think it's an unforced error by the governor. And I, and I think, contrary to what some people think, I don't think she makes a ton of them. I, you have a Christmas tree business in state. What, what was going to happen here was completely foreseeable. And they contribute it. And they, they contribute the tree it. every Let, year. Let's it's not just, a cost. We've got a $9 billion budget. We can't figure out how to take care of one Christmas tree at the state house. So I don't think it's a big issue, but it's one of those symbolic issues that, that you want to handle correctly, especially given the history with Chafee and everything You know, unforced error is a great because the governor, I heard her in an interview mm -hmm. saying, well, you know, we have a dry building and um, where it doesn't get enough water. The Christmas tree growers are like, you know, there are ways to handle this. You just put eight gallons of water in a day. Lou? No, uh, yeah, I agree with Rob. Uh, unforced error. Um, does it really matter whether or not uh, it's artificial or real? Uh, I personally don't care, but the tree, and we have a lot of tree farms. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of tree farms in Rhode Island, and I think it is a slap in the face to them. And this whole $6,500 with the, that it's not taxpayer money, but it's coming out of the Democratic Governors Association. Did you hear that? I did. Yeah, I'm I was wondering how that happened. Yeah, so <laughs> if you're giving to the Democratic Governors Association, your money may be going to some Christmas tree on Smith Hill. Uh, or am I missing something? Here? No, but given the options, uh, yes. if you're going to do it, <laughs> you know imagine, what? imagine if this was taxpayer money. Well, this is the least. This is the least of you know. Rob, we've got a ten billion dollar budget. They can't squeeze sixty five. <laughs> I want to know where they're going to store it yeah, in the off season because that's always does the, it come the in challenge. It's got to come in it pieces, come right? In they pieces. don't put it on a flatbed, right? Right. But still, I'm like, that's that's a big tree to story for me yeah, in a year. Well, it's going to be uh, people are going to be talking about it as they go in. Hey, that's the one that's causing all the. Uh... <laughs> all right. The Trump administration made some news this week. This has been in the works for a while. Uh, they're going to crack down. Uh, the game plan is to crack down on food stamps, SNAP benefits, uh, basically aimed at people who are able bodied. Uh, and I think that the administration's. Um, uh, rationale here is it shouldn't be a way of life. That if you're, you know, if you're working, other people are saying this could affect 7,000 people. It's going to affect the most vulnerable people. Lou, let me start with you on this. I'm good with it. You know, I've uh. been, I, I know I'm going to be the uh. only person here because these two to my left certainly are going to disagree with me. I've been, uh, I, I've always believed that generational welfare is a scourge on the taxpayer. And by that I'm saying that people ought to be able to work. And again, the, I think the mandate is that people between the ages of 18 and 49 who have no disabilities. Able-bodied uh, workers. Able-bodied workers have to do 20 hours a week of work to be eligible to be able to get these benefits. Uh, and there are waivers in place. Uh, if you're in a community which, or a city or town that has higher than 6% unemployment, you can, this requirement can be waived. The governor uh, can always uh, ask for waivers in certain circumstances. I don't have a problem with it. And that's what's going away, right? The waivers. Yes. Right? The administration, you guys want to jump in? Well, I'm... I, they, on so many levels, I think we could do a whole show on something like this. Mm -hmm. First of all, it starts with the premise that 20 hours a week is somehow going to be able to support a family. And um, as you know, I run a nonprofit, and our the way that you get the free clothes to come in is if you have SNAP benefits, free and reduced lunch, or what have you. Um, I talk to, I would say, 95% of the people that come in are working. 
they're working, they're out there, they're trying to, you know, better themselves. Nobody they wants to be, be on it. They wouldn't be denied benefits. But let me tell you what's happened. What's happened is that they are seasonal employees. They work from time to time because they're not educated. So that there's t periods of time when they're out of work and they're looking for work. They're just not getting it. Um, and then you have childcare and you put all the other things on top of it, Lou. It's a, it's a, you know, it's that old fallacy that the guy standing on the corner panhandling is doing it because that's a really great way to make money and not understanding the whole social impact of what's happening. So I just think that there's so many other ways that we can save money in this country to look at the, the least common denominator and people that are trying to make it work and to say, oh, that's where we're going to we're going to focus is just uh, the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats. I think you also have to put this proposal in context because it's a part of a three-part proposal. It, um, this, is the, the, this part is, and I still disagree um, with Lou and, and, and with the administration, this part is probably the most defensible. But they're also talking about there's ways right now where if we have high utility bills, bills and other expenditures that can be calculated into whether you're eligible for food stamps. They're trying to do away with that. That impacts families, not just able-bodied people. It impacts kids. All the research on this shows that food stamps and eliminating hunger helps children. Right. So they're not just going after, if this was the only thing, we could have a, um, we could have a debate either way. We could have a, a debate about this and, and there's arguments on both sides. If you look at the whole package, it's a pretty cruel package and all the research shows we're going to hurt the next generation of kids. And Rob, the amount of money that people get, it's, it's a pittance. They can't even make the, talk to any of the food banks, they'll tell you. A week, at a week, a month. A month. And it's for food. And it's for food. I understand the, it's a different argument when you're talking about um, cash welfare benefits. That's Correct. A, that's a different, but I think for, we're talking about food that has to be used for food. Correct. The cash welfare benefits, I would, I would agree with you more on that. You know, that, that doesn't bother me as much, but you're talking about hunger. You're talking about um, basic, basic security, you know, hunger, housing, clothing. All of those things are, are really basic to individuals. Maybe, and maybe I inaccurately combine the two. My mind is always going to the cash part yeah. of it. Uh, and again, growing up, you know, I just saw generational welfare. It's like no one in that family... Yep. ever ever worked and the right. more kids you have the more cash you get and before you know it I, I just that's the scourge that I was specifically and referring to. And we've reformed, we've reformed that a lot and, of, and, yeah. and, a, and a lot of good came out of the welfare reform. I agree with you on that. On this though when you look at the impact we're, we're, we're talking about it's going to be several million if their whole package gets gets adopted. All so the, the food, changes the they food want insecurity in this country is so significant so significant. I have two two daughters that teach in school districts in completely pot different parts of the country. They, uh, one of them is a school psychologist and she works, or a school counselor, she struggles every week for when some of the kids leave on a Friday because they don't have food over the weekend. Until Monday. And this is, and this is just- Or and, in the summertime. And both of them, well, I'm just talking about the week to week issues that happen. This is, this is real. And so our other daughter who's in the Midwest says the two of them are talking back and forth about it um, over the holidays. Um, 
and the same issues. They worry about what happens. We have charities coming forward giving kids backpacks for the weekend for food. And now at the same time, you have the federal government saying, let's cut back on some of this. Do they not understand what's happening in the communities? Well, and you see it from the nonprofit world. The big impact then is going to be in the, in, in the community food bank. Because sure. people are going to get food somewhere. Sure. It's not right. like the problem's going to go sure. away, right? Sure. Right. And, the, and the food bank and the churches and the and the local groups, mm. the, the KFCs, everything, they are... They are hitting their their top point right now, where they're saying they're seeing more and more people come in. Um, first of all, it's being delivered more on a dignity basis, so that people feel comfortable going in. Uh, but it's it's just it's rampant. Final word. Yeah, th these issues were discussed as part of the farm bill because food stamps fit into the farm bill, and and a bipartisan majority in Congress rejected these changes. So the Trump administration is is trying Executive to do by order. rule. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're doing it by rule, not, not, as, as something that there isn't a, a appetite for the body politic to do. Okay, uh, we have a lot of uh, <laughs> we have a lot of impeachment to talk about, but let's do uh, let's do outrages first. Lou, do you have an outrage this week? Kind of ties in to the impeachment. Actually, I have an outrage, and then I have a attaboy. Uh, the outrage is. Not the impeachment itself, it's just the way it's been handled. Uh, it's a completely ridiculous process, the way it was just rushed through so they can get it done before the Christmas break, so they can now go back out on the campaign trail. I'm not making a judgment here on whether or not there should or should not be uh, impeachment hearings uh, going forward and then going articles of impeachment going to the Senate. But I do have a problem with the way they've done this. I think it was expedient. I think it was wrong. I think it hurts the process. And I think it hurts Congress, especially the House. The attaboy just goes to Mark Potemkin. It's not always the case where someone's willing to take out the most powerful politician in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, but front page, there it was. He, he took down. Called out. Yeah. Ca called out, took down Speaker Mattiello for being the sole reason we lost the Pawtucket Red Sox. And I just... I thought that took a lot of courage. Well, that's a new category, attaboy. We had Lisa Pelosi a couple weeks ago had an oops category. Yeah. We've expanded our categories. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an outrage or a coup? <coughs> I, I have an outrage, and, and I'll save the, the impeachment discussion. For we're going to get to that <laughs> momentarily. So I'm actually going uh, to exercise something I don't normally, a little bit of discipline. Um, my outrage is um, this week uh, the U.N. issued an emissions gap report, which is a... Uh, a tactical way of saying the, the difference between what's, what um, nations are contributing and what we need to do to, to avoid the worst consequences of, of climate change. And it shows we've got to basically reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 7.6% a year, um, which is not undoable in transition to renewable energy. Trump administration is completely, n not only to use the Daniel Patrick Moynihan phrase, giving this benign neglect, they're doing everything they possibly can to heat up the planet. Um, with no explanation except for the president saying, I don't believe it. It's science. It's not something you believe or don't believe. And if you don't believe it, the least show of the American public is a detailed and explanation of why. Otherwise, we are jeopardizing um, the quality of life for our kids. Okay. Eva, what do you have? As everyone knows, I always do a kudos. And um, as you all know, I'm Rhode Island born and Rhode Island bred. And when I die, I'll be Rhode Island dead. You are I fight song, by it the is. way. I want to say Rhode Islanders are the best people in the world, and I'll give you one 
great example. So this week, um, Bob Benoit, who owns Anchor Subaru, teamed up with Mark Perlman at Ocean State Job Lot. And yesterday, they delivered 1,000 brand new coats mm. to close to kids Rhode Island to be to go to the kids wow. of Providence County and it was a game changer for us and during that time some of the salesmen came in and what have you and I talked to the best of Rhode Islanders so to all of those businesses out there that give back uh, we quietly are, a lot of we times. are going mm. and that's right that's right and that's why I'm saying it uh, you know didn't want anything um, they just had heard about what we were doing and um, one of the salesmen uh, had gone to the giving tree at their church and took the tag off and expecting to see like an Xbox or a car or something <laughs> that one of our kids would have on there and it was a warm winter coat. Mm. And he recalled the conversation he had with me and it went from there. So to all the Rhode Island businesses that give back, um, thank you. Yeah. Mm. Let's get back to impeachment. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was asked yesterday, what if this ultimately flips the election to Donald Trump? Because a lot of people have said, uh, you know, goes through the impeachment and then he gets acquitted in the Senate and all that, and it spills into the new year. And she said, we need to do this either way. So talk about what you see this. We'll talk about process in a second with Lou. But what's your reaction from a from a political strategist lens? I think in terms of the election, it's hard to say. I think it's going to have a... a a negative impact on President Trump simply because you're going to, it's already moved. 70% of the public thinks he did something wrong uh, here. You're going to have a two-week, three-week trial in the Senate. The fact pattern here, you, you can determine that it doesn't rise to the level of impeachment, but the fact pattern of withholding $400 million of necessary military aid to a country that's fighting Russia, Russia. our adversary, yeah. At the same time as you demand an investigation of your political opponent and, and also demand this wacky conspiracy theory that every intelligence agency, including all the, all the Trump-appointed officials, have rejected about Ukraine is a terrible fact pattern for the president. And he did it the day after Bob Mueller, part of this, it's been going on for a while, the day after Bob Mueller um, testified in front of Congress. So even if you conclude we should let the people decide it's an election, you shouldn't be impeached, nothing about this fact pattern is helpful. The president's going to get it's going to get spotlighted for two weeks. So as far as the time frame is concerned, um, this has been going on for over two years. It started with the special counsel. No, actually it started um, when he was elected. No, <laughs> no, it started with the special counsel. It started with the special counsel. That was when the, the issue first, started, first arose. So Congress has been looking at this issue, Lou, for two years. And as you know, we're lawyers. It, the process takes a period of time. And a lot was done behind the scenes. A lot of, I thought, and I was on this show talking about how I thought Nancy Pelosi showed incredible restraint. diligence and yeah. restraint holding back. It was only at the last moment and the last part of evidence that came out. But how can you, how can you, the facts are so blatant. You, you're helping a country uh, that needs us. But this, you're saying when went back I mean, you're two years. It. You know, it was the Mueller investigation that was going to take him down. Well, obviously that proved to be a big nothing burger. This whole issue with regard to Ukraine only started in July of this past year. Think about that. It started months ago. I think that's what the public heard about Here, months ago, but I don't a, think that's when it started. Fair point. But first of all, um, and, and this part of the framing by the conservatives, the Mueller report wasn't a nothing murder. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 I, I say at least 100 cases of contacts with Russia. It isolated ten instances of, of obstruction of justice. Or and sorry, no prosecution because he's a sitting president. Right, right. and you can't prosecute as a sitting president. Uh, the, and here's the issue on the process. 
I, I hear your point. They are, there's clearly a political calculation on the process. I'm not denying that. On the other hand, when the president refuses to cooperate at all, which is unprecedented. Fair Nixon point. cooperated more. Clinton co cooperated more. He's saying Congress has, has no power here. Blanket executive privilege. So his whole thing is to stall and stonewall. And so there's politics on both sides, but but that's a fair but, point. but so it's hard to develop a process if you're sitting here and, and both Pelosi and Schiff to give them their due. Neither of them were for impeachment before Ukraine. Right. Thirty seconds, Lou. What do you think the political fallout's going to be? I know that's a crystal ball question. Does this ultimately help the president? We don't know what's going to come out in the Senate. We Does don't. Does it help? Does it I, hurt? I, what do you think? I think a lot is going to have to depend on the Inspector General's report coming out in four days on the whole issue of the FISA court and whether or not any of the governmental agencies did it inappropriate or improper actions. I think Trump's base will stay with Trump. And I think that uh, regardless of what uh, happens. Yeah, and you know what? I, uh, let me tell you something. I think that if the economy stays strong, then. Yeah, that could be the deciding factor. That's it. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, I'm sorry. That is uh, all the time we have. 30 minutes goes pretty quickly around here. Uh, Rob and Eva and Lou, thank you, as always, for bringing your insights. Folks, it's good to be back. Come back next week. You never know what's going to happen between now and next Friday, but we hope you will join us next weekend as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great weekend. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.